What's up, guys? Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com here with another episode of the North American Weed Tour podcast. Today, I am joined by CEO and co-founder of West Coast Cannabis Club, Kenneth Churchill. How are you doing today, Kenneth? Mitch, I'm doing well, man. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Likewise, my guy. Likewise, excited to to learn a little bit more about your business. Give our 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 listeners a little bit more insight on yourself in the California cannabis market. But you know, to to start it off, I would love to know, and I I know a little bit of it, but we'll let our our listeners know a little bit of your origin in this industry. Yeah, for sure. So I've been in the cannabis industry one way or another for my entire life. Uh, but when I got out of college, I always wanted to always wanted to start a business and. Uh, the timing was just too perfect for it to not be cannabis. And so uh, when I finished up college in Nebraska, I actually moved to California, lived in San Diego uh, with a buddy of mine. And that's where we started West Coast Cannabis Club. Uh, 2015, we started a, a Prop 215 a delivery service down in San Diego. And so I've been I've been building this company since then. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, man. And so I know West Coast Cannabis Club started as a very modest delivery service and in, in, in those those prop 215 days and you know to where you guys are now is is quite the journey to three br brick and mortar locations still having delivery cultivation manufacturing quite quite the laundry list of uh yeah. you know, businesses with inside the business so what describe a little bit of like the growth from going from just kind of a smaller delivery outlet in your in the local area to just kind of one of the boom the booming businesses out there yeah, you know, for us, I think that was always the goal. Uh, we were just kind of naive and thinking that we were going to be able to do it with like the ten thousand uh, dollars that we had at the time. And so, honestly, we just kind of bet on ourselves. We started that delivery service. I went and bought, you know, a few pounds from the guy that I knew, put a little spot up on Weed Maps, and we just started making deliveries. And the goal was always to get a brick and mortar store as soon as we could. Uh, but San Diego just was never going to be in the cards. It's it's too expensive and, and too difficult to try to operate in the San Diego market, especially for us at that time. And so we had studied a bunch of cities in California to try to find places that had regulations that would allow, uh, you know, some some smaller operators like us with a with a little bit of a smaller bankroll to be able to come in and, and compete. And we found Cathedral City, which is out here uh, outside of Palm Springs, which is actually where we're where we're located. And so we honestly, you know, we took that original 10,000, flipped it into about 60,000 in cash, which is what we had when we went to Cathedral City. I'd never been here before, uh, but we just were going to bet on that was going to be our opportunity. So we, we opened up a medical store uh, in 2016. We operated all of 2017 um, as, a, as a licensed medical uh, dispensary. And then recreational happened on January 1st in 2018. And we actually were lucky enough to be the, the the first transaction in California history for recreational on that day. So we were one of only five stores in California that had opened at six o'clock on that first day of right. recreational sales. Uh, it was a crazy day. You know, obviously we had the news there. There was a line out the door at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and so that moment was really when our lives changed as far as what we what we saw was going to be the goal for this company. And uh, we then, you know, applied in a few more cities. Since then, we've added uh, a second retail location in Palm Desert uh, that is a retail only location. And then our third retail location is a, is a micro business uh, also in Palm Desert. It's a 35,000 square foot micro business. It used to be the KESQ news station out here. So like the CBS nightly news station, they shot the news here for 12 years before they moved to a different building. So in our grow downstairs, we actually have the green screen still from where they shot the weather. Uh, and so in this building, we have retail, we have a, a manufacturing facility and kitchen inside of the building. We also have a license up to 10,000 square feet of cultivation, but we're only doing about 3,500 right now. Uh, and we do full distribution out of this building as well. And so this has kind of been, you know, the the vision is to is to get to kind of where we are now. And so now it's on to trying to get some more stores and, and getting our own brand uh, into some outside sales positions. Awesome. And, and obviously, you know, I've been down there to the Melanie Place location. It's a it's a gorgeous building and how you guys are able to have, you know, pretty much every facet of the cannabis industry 
inside of one building essentially right. i mean i know it's different units but it's, it's pretty amazing um what has been the importance for you guys of having that micro business that has so many you know you got manufacturing right there distribution delivery like does that make life easier for you or is it still kind of difficult because it's different licenses and there's regulation there so uh we're lucky that since it's the micro business license it's all kind of combined into one so we don't run into many issues as far as like there's not different units it's one building and each license operates inside of it the difficult part is as you and probably all of your followers know is it's not easy uh to do any of these verticals on their own uh each one of them is is very difficult in its own way they take a certain amount of expertise um, we're just very lucky that we have an incredible team who have shown that they're able to take on these verticals and not slip their standards. You know, we talk a lot about how, since we started as a retail company, a lot of people are probably going to look at us as if we need to prove ourselves as cultivators before they're going to give us a lot of, of credit for what we've done. They're going to kind of expect us to be one of those retailers who just, you know, grows whatever they can so they can try to get their margin you know slightly improved but that's not our goal we we want to grow uh the best product that we possibly can um that being said it's almost necessary for a company of mine size in california to be vertically integrated uh it's so difficult to try to compete with a lot of the the very large retail companies who have you know they're backed very well <laughs> in a capital standpoint um, they're able to purchase inventory uh, in different ways to be able to have more flexibility than we can as a, as a small business. And so being able to control any of our menu um, is is entirely necessary for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for you guys, obviously, having distribution through uh, retail and delivery, right, having that cultivation, you really are going to able you're going to really able be able to have just full control of that customer experience and end product, getting it to your guys in the local area. Well, and we get to bring it back to a little bit how it was in Prop 215, where people know like when, when you come into the, my store, you're getting we're getting my flower. I can bring it down. I can show you where we grew it. I can show you it in jars because it's inside of the same license. It's it's a lot more fun because like we don't have to worry about sample jars because we're not sending out product to a thousand dispensaries. This is all stuff we're selling in our own. So we switch out our sample jars on a, you know, on a semi-daily basis to make mm. sure we have really fresh product for our customers to be able to see and smell versus this, you know, kind of new way of doing things where everybody just orders on an, on an iPad and, and probably doesn't even get to see or smell the product before they actually pay 65 or $70 for that eighth. That's just not how it works for us. We're able to keep our top shelf product, our 31% flower that we're growing um, at $50 taxes included out the door. And we're working on getting it even lower if we can. So we're really just to doing it because we just think that it's the best way to actually run a cannabis store, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I'm from Colorado. That's how a lot of it was done out there. And it was so fun to go to Colorado and see people actually pull out mm. product that they grew and weigh it in front of you instead of just having to buy a, you know, a seven month old, you know, prepackaged product um, that the brand who who's selling it probably didn't even grow it themselves anyways. Uh, so California is kind of an it's an interesting market, man. And I, I love the flexibility that this micro business gives us because when I take people on tours of this building, I can show you the gummies that are being made that are going to be on the shelf in four days. You know, you can see the grow uh, that we're going to be pulling down in two weeks and come back and, and actually try to buy that product, you know, two weeks later. Uh, and, it, and I do think it, it is very unique. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, to that point of, you know, cannabis having to be in sealed jars and not being able to get a good smell or taste, you know, that's definitely a common hurdle in this industry in a lot in a lot of states. And as we've interviewed quite a bit of cultivators or people just, you know, connoisseurs on this podcast, you know, the, the two things that seem to matter most to anybody that smokes good weed is the smell in the jar and the taste. And clearly right. you can't taste inside a retail environment. Um, but the smell is the best, you know, the best telltale is this product going to be good because product can look good. And, you know, like everyone, the cure isn't right. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't smoke good. That's, that's not uncommon. Right. And so right. a lot of the way this market's been set up has been to 
not been to, but has uh, a result of that has inhibited that consumer interaction with a product until you buy it, which as you know, like if I come buy something from you and I go home and have a bad experience with it, it's not just the brand. It might be, and depending on our relationship as a consumer at the store, I might be like, oh, this store sold me some bunk, you know? Yeah. It's like, well, they didn't even know because the jar was sealed when they had it. Right? We didn't even know. Yeah. And, and I mean, especially, man, it just takes me back to, you know, pre, uh, you know, this recreational legalization. And that's where everybody went. You know, all of our sample jars were just, you know, small jars with an eighth of the bud that you can smell and look at under a little microscope. And then we would sell it to you. And the reaction that you get from people when they smell is like we didn't a lot of the stores didn't even really have full THC and terpene profiles at all. in you know, 2016, 2017, very few stores were doing THC even. And what you bought your weed on almost all the time was the smell because it all yeah. looks good but you when you find that one you're like yeah this is this is what i'm looking for without even knowing what you know the terpene profiles were in the, in the thc percentage and so i'm happy that they have those things to choose from now but i think a lot of people who've been smoking for a long time there's just something about the smell that is that's so important to the product that they're buying and in california that's hard to get because it, it is just a, it is a, a, a different environment where like I said, we we're, we have literally some stuff that we pulled down. I told you I'm just trimming some bud this morning because I want to get it out as fast as I possibly can. Because as soon as we get it to testing, it's back and on the shelf two days later. Um, and we're one of the few places where you can actually still buy, you know, sticky sticky bud and actually smell it before before you leave. And I, I think the people out there, I want to emphasize that we're talking about the CEO is out there trimming this morning <laughs> before a full day at work, man. So I mean, that's that's a great point there. Um, and you know, one other thing I wanted to ask is, you know, starting out obviously delivery and then going to one brick and mortar and then obviously scaling from that. How important has it been to kind of take these, you know, granular, not granular, but these steps into new businesses and expansion as opposed to just like companies that potentially get a lot of funding? And it's like, all right, now you're starting cultivation, retail delivery all on day one. Right. Like what, mm -hmm. what has been the importance of kind of taking these step by step, even if it was unintentional? I, I think for us, it's been very intentional because it's almost been by necessity. We don't have we weren't in a position where we were coming in crazy well funded. We've had to self fund everything that we've done. And it's me, my best friend from high school and my best friend from college who started this company. Mm. Very smart guys, by the way, not just because they're my best friends. Those are actually the two guys that I would want to be my <laughs> co-founders with me, ride or die, no matter what. But we understood that we weren't going to be. The, the best capitalized company uh, in California. And we also like having control of our own company. So we're not gonna go to try to raise a, a huge amount of, of equity and lose the entire you know, business that we feel like we've been building this whole time. So even with this 35,000 square feet, we brought this on with an understanding it was gonna take us some time. You know, We negotiated really conservative uh, leases uh, we don't come in and promise the world to uh, these these landlords. We explain to them like this is a this is a long play for us. We're not trying to flip this company and sell it in three to five years. We want to build something that that we're proud of and that we can we can still have in this community, you know, 10 and 15 years from now. Um, you know, we, our employees are having kids while we're building this industry, mm -hmm. you know, like there's generations that are coming into this into this company. And so it's for us, it was never like, let's see how fast we can grow and then make a bunch of money and, and head out. Uh, I mean, making a bunch of money is always nice if you can do it. But at the same time, like we have, you know, we have long term goals with this. So for us, it's been take your time, uh, do it when you know that it's the right thing to do. Cultivation, we were a company for three years before we started cultivating because we knew we just knew retail better. And so we wanted to get as good as we possibly could at retail. And then we can start working on a new vertical and 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 try to be just as good at that vertical as as we are at the first one. And I and I don't think that's what's happening in a lot of companies. I think there's a lot of rushing to just try to be first to market and and to just get these press releases. And mm. um, it's just a different motive, you know. We're we're a small company. We're we're privately owned. Uh, we don't have large investors that we have to answer to. Uh, we just have a bunch of customers that we have to answer to. And so that's where we, we try to put our focus. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's so many of the, the people that are rushing, you know, 
I don't think fully comprehend the nuances of this industry, right? Of like just cultivating the, the path of saying, hey, I want to start a cultivation facility to actually having product for sale and then actually having a consistent supply that is up to certain standards and right. all these different facets, right? Like it's it's not very realistic to put a timeline before you start a cultivation facility along with no. retail and delivery. Like it's, you know, you, there's just a lot of variables there. I mean, we, we completely lost our first two crops, but we kind of knew we were going to, right? Like we, we were trying new things. We wanted to see where it went. And then, you know, that comes back and uh, you know, you were used heavy metals because the water, uh, the local water has too high of heavy metals to even actually pass, um, you know, testing facilities. So, you know, you lose that batch, but that's kind of the fun part. If you're not, you know, we did a 12 lighter, you know, so it's not like, it's not like we had, you know, 400 lights that we just had to chop down and, and learn the hard way. We started with 12 lights and now we've got all of that figured out. We moved on from that. And so now we're at 75 lights. And as we start to pull these down and get the system good, um, you know, we've got 10,000 square feet in here that we'll, we'll eventually be growing into, but, you know, I'm just speaking for myself. That's just the way that I like to do it. You know, like I said, like we're, we, we're still here working. Like, you know, my, my co-founder and my chief operating officer um, is, you know, downstairs right now doing the, the demolition on the new room that we're going to do. So mm. he's literally going to hammer downstairs, but I don't want anybody else to do it. That's the fun part, you know, growing Absolutely. the bud and meeting the customers and doing the work. Like that's, I don't know. That's the fun part to me. Absolutely. And I think, I think, uh, you know, something that's impressed me with you guys, and I might have said first time I, I met you is like, when you look at the stats of how many businesses you guys have with the outlets, you look at kind of the branding, it doesn't feel as small of a business as it does, you know, mm -hmm. like you guys have built a very respectable company via these number of retail outlets you have and having called these arms of the business. But I also think you guys came together with really clean branding and you don't really see a lot of companies that have like this local small business, like are truly that, but also have these has put such an emphasis on making sure it looks like a very clean, well-represented company. So what kind of went into the, the thought process and the inspiration behind branding and kind of the approach to merchandise and making sure you guys are just represented really well? Yeah, so um, my degree was in marketing from the University of Nebraska. And so I'm always been fascinated by that aspect anyways. And in this industry, and especially when we got started, you know, in, in the California medical cannabis side, even all the dispensary names were like, you know, uh, organic patients cooperative or like they were they were all very um, those are not going to be names that are going to work in recreational and long term success. And so that was one of the first things we realized that we didn't just want to have, you know, a, another X and X collective. We wanted to try to come up with an actual brand and name that five years from now, because at the time we didn't know when it was going to go recreational mm -hmm. five years from now or whenever it goes recreational, it's still going to be a reasonable name. Could not believe we got West Coast Cannabis Club. That one was just kind of one of those, you know, smoked a blonde at the right time and did the little Google search. <laughs> and I was like, it's available and so as soon as we had that i i think we we just had knew, we had our vision for for the brand and we we and it was something that we felt like really matched our own personalities and so that's another reason why i think this brand works for us is because it is us you know it's mm -hmm. it's very much my marketing department is is me and and you know monica and tatiana two of my just really talented employees who do so much more than just marketing but we also just do all of our marketing and so this the company is just kind of unapologetically us i think and it's mm. it's kind of worked it's kind of worked for us because i think people can see that and it doesn't look it doesn't look contrived it's and and our employees love repping this company you know it's it's something that we can all just kind of we all have a part in yeah and so another thing i want to ask is you know just the pulse of of the culture in in uh palm desert palm springs the coachella yeah. valley what does kind of cannabis culture look like? Because I know you guys, we were talking right before we started is obviously tourism fuels that industry for a, a season of the year. But then you guys also have a pretty large, you know, regular population of just people that live out there because it's a it's a pretty big spread out area. Um, what What is yeah. kind of the state of the culture of cannabis out there? I mean, this place is always kind of set a lot of it. People don't realize how many of the California large, huge California companies are in this desert um, and their facilities are in this desert. The, the, can, 
this community out here in Coachella Valley is 100% accepted uh, their role as a leader in the cannabis industry. And I love it because it allows me to get involved in some really interesting things. I mean, I, I literally, we have a board seat on the Greater Coachella Valley Chamber of Commerce. We have, uh, you know, a, 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 we have a, a, a brick at the YMCA that says West Coast Cannabis Club because of our relationship with them, because these companies have accepted cannabis as an actual industry here. Um, so it's, it's really great because at this point, um, you don't have to you don't have to fight against them for what we think is is right for the industry. They they want you to be here. We have such a positive relationship with the local cities out here, and then just the people who live here. I mean, it's it's definitely uh, it's it's definitely full of people who are going to help support this this industry. You know, I mean, like you said, we lost Coachella, we lost uh, BNP Paribas, which is a huge tennis tournament out here. Stagecoach, all the events uh that disappeared over the last couple of years you know it was the locals that kept companies like us alive when a lot of the a lot of the bigger companies have been struggling because they spent so much time and effort trying to get all of the uh tourists mm-hmm. that they forgot that there's four hundred thousand people who live here year-round who like cannabis too and so a lot of those people they they like to stick to the local companies who who kind of take care of them and they're very supportive of the of the cannabis industry out here and have been for a long time and what's it look like kind of local versus tourism is there uh is there a disconnect there or does it seem to live in harmony because sometimes some some areas there's like a i don't know there can be a disconnect around seasonal you know tourism not at all the, there's no disconnect the only disconnect actually comes from i think more on the the corporate and company side when they come into Palm Springs and they like they come into the Palm Springs and Coachella Valley and their entire marketing plan is just the Coachella Music Festival or just their idea of what Palm Springs is. The, uh, the people of this community love tourists. We, we love the snowbirds who come in. Uh, we welcome it. I mean, our, our economy entirely relies on it. Yeah. So there's no disconnect there. There's a lot of respect for the people who come into this community and and I mean, frankly, you know, spend a lot of money and are very supportive of the businesses here. But it is funny because a lot of the a lot of the brands and the people who try to come into this area definitely think that all this area is is a, is a music festival in April once a year. Um, and then just, you know, the the downtown Palm Springs vibe. And it's it's not it's a it's a huge community out here uh, and it, it gets completely glossed over by a lot of people. Absolutely. And, you know, that's something that you see in a lot of different areas. Uh, you know, people know that area for tourism, for these music festivals. And so um, it's it's not uncommon to hear situations like that where they overlook. But it, it is interesting, though. Do you feel like people in the local community actually go out and enjoy these festivals as well? Or is there is that more reserved for kind of tourism? Oh, well, uh, it's it's people definitely go. I mean, uh, Coachella is a little different because in Coachella, you can make so much money Airbnb in your house mm. uh, for one week. People will pay two mortgages, a two months mortgage. So a lot of people just kind of leave for Coachella. If you live around the festival, why not? Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's part of the it's just kind of part of the community and the culture out here. I mean, those those festivals are what keep a lot of this area uh, alive and fun. I mean, it's it's there's so many resorts out here and restaurants that that thrive off of that. And so uh, people, a lot of people, most people out here work them. You know, that's kind of the huge thing with Coachella is that's thousands and thousands of jobs for people mm-hmm. um, that, 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 you know, they get to, to go and, and partake. But uh, so, I mean, the, the festivals are just kind of a way of life out here, man. It's a, it's, it's a lot of fun for sure, but it's, it's funny. Cause it's just, there's, there's, this is a big community. There's 800,000 people who live in uh, Coachella Valley uh, during you know, during season. So there's a little bit of everything out here. Yeah. Yeah. People from all over. So, you know, Hollow Flowers is about to bring, bring itself out there here. Yep. Uh, yet another thing, you know, coming to that area, what's, what's kind of the temperature you feel like the, the local community is excited. I, I know a lot of the brands I talked to in LA are excited because it's such a quick drive from LA. Easy. As it's not Santa Rosa. Santa Rosa but yeah. but how, how are you guys feeling about uh, Hollow Flowers coming down there? I'm excited, man. Uh, I, I I always make the trip up to Santa Rosa because Hall of Flowers is just such a great event. Uh, but yeah, I mean, now it's 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 down the street from me, so I'm I, I'm excited for it. It'll be interesting because, like I said, it's it, it is a big desert, so it is a little different than Santa Rosa. So I'm 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 guessing that a lot of it is going to end up in Palm Springs, even though Hall of Flowers is actually in Cathedral City, uh, and so. 
I'll probably be attending more parties than we'll uh, than we'll be throwing on. But uh, I'm excited to see where the events are because I'm already hearing a lot of fun things that are starting to come out. Uh, Palm Springs, it's rented out some big event uh, situations out in Palm Springs right now. Uh, so, you, you know, Hall of Flowers will go big. You know, all the companies are going to come in and spend a lot of money. And I'm always supportive of that. Anybody who wants to come to Coachella Valley and spend spend money is is always good in my book. <laughs> And so for you as, as a business owner that attends these trade shows, what, what do you kind of look for when you go there? Trends, uh, trends and relationships, to be honest with you. I think as a retailer, I'm, I'm always looking for like what's going to be kind of the next big pro uh, product. I mean, obviously, proprietary uh, disposable vapes are kind of a thing right now. Everybody trying to get that, that next one uh, that hopefully they can try to catch the really successful ones that are out there. Um, it's always interesting to see people try to get into like the savory snacks now versus more of the gummies. Cause in California, the gummies mm. absolutely dominate the market. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm always trying to find out who's going to get the next, like maybe ability to, to compete with gummies. Uh, but you know, hall of flowers and stuff like that, this industry is all about relationships, uh, in, in my book. And, and it's a difficult industry to navigate if you don't, you don't know as many people as possible. So I love to go to these events and just meet the reps from all the companies, meet the founders. Hall of Flowers is one of those that you got, you know, these are founders working mm -hmm. these booths, you know, so you actually get to meet, you know, the, the actual decision makers and then, you know, run into guys like uh, respect my region every once in a while yeah, and out there. just, uh, you know, make sure that make sure that we, we got a pulse on the industry and that we're uh, we're not, you know, losing losing track of anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's a great point. You know, having Hall of Flowers, I think has been so successful because I mean, who they work with, but also having that targeted focus of like you said, there's going to be owners there, you know, the networking is so high level at, at that type of event creation. We're talking about this force. It's like feels like something you can't miss. And while a lot of events give off that feeling, that's definitely one of the few that, you know, in my book, it's definitely makes it on that list as opposed to, you know, MJ BizCon was a great time, but it's, such a hodgepodge of people right it's not right. it might not be as much value it, it probably yeah. isn't as much value i'm a california operator and to be honest with you i don't have a whole lot of interest in multi-state unless it's just something that presents itself in an, in an interesting way for me and so you know mj bizcon's a hard one i don't i don't need a, a 12 million dollar machine that can you know chop up four thousand pounds of hemp an hour or anything like that's just not something we're looking for and then you know a lot of the relationships just aren't as personal hall of mm -hmm. flowers is so specific I mean, everybody that I run into at Hall of Flowers is somebody that I want to be running into for the most part. Uh, that's why that's such a unique one. And that's why we're so excited out here to have it, you know, in Palm Springs, because, you know, like I said, this is a community. The reason Hall of Flowers is here is because this is a community that welcomes events like this and, and welcomes, you know, the cannabis industry. And so it's, it's going to be fun to kind of get everybody from L.A. to come out, you know, to come out our way every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so with with this past, you know, it's not even a year anymore. It's, you know, we're going on, I don't know, two years now with, with COVID, which obviously, you know, really hurt, hurt your the entire area out there of tourism. Um, but also we saw delivery, not just in cannabis, yeah. but all over see an increase. Did you guys see, you know, delivery kind of explode within your business out there? Yeah, we did. We've been really happy with the return on, on delivery and it's kind of stayed that way. I think it, it brought a lot of people uh, who maybe wouldn't have ordered delivery beforehand um and now that's like kind of all they do uh and the funny thing with delivery is like you're talking you're usually talking like bulk orders people order a lot more on delivery than they do when they when there's somebody who comes into the store a lot because they kind of want to get that one delivery a month or that one mm -hmm. delivery every two weeks and so the, the the guest average on on delivery is just so much more substantial uh we've been we've been really happy with how delivery uh has worked out obviously as a as kind of a pivot for us for, you know, with COVID, I think our biggest our biggest pivot was putting more effort into cultivation and making that more of a thing for us because I think we realized, you know, you would know I don't I don't know how much you guys talked about it at the time, but the price for flour, you know, last year, you know, March of last year was was absolutely insane. It was so high in California mm. that the entire supply chain just got crazy. You know, we had brands that had had forty. 40 strains normally that are coming with me like one or two strains and like this is this is all we have mm. and so it kind of it, it made us realize that crazy things can happen <laughs> um and we need to have as much control of this supply chain as as we possibly can because 
you know, who knows when a pandemic is just going to, you know, show up, I guess. And so I think that was the biggest pivot for us was we just realized that as a brand, we need to have more control over what, what our supply chain uh, looks like and focus more on really specific and strategic partnerships from a brand standpoint, um, but not get too reliant on having to to pay wholesale prices for for other brands who who don't who probably don't care about our customers the way that we care about our customers mm. you know like they they're not always they're looking out for their stores more than they are our customers so being out here in the desert you don't always get the best product you know yeah. sometimes they'll take it to the certain stores in LA and so we just had to cut all that off yeah yeah, it makes it, it makes complete sense because I mean, obviously, we've seen just global supply supply chain issues in every industry over the last year and a half, and it makes sense to want to own and control that more. If if not even for you know anything better than just a fail safe, right. <laughs> dependent on the supply, because any all of these markets, you know, the supply and demand it, it ebbs and flows. Where you know supply is limited, price goes up. Markets flooded, supply you know price drops, and it definitely makes it difficult for you guys to um you know build a business where you de depend on those margins to pay employees and pay all these costs that are fixed while the cost of goods is continually spiking up and down yeah yeah for sure and i mean and, you, and we as retailers you know you're, you're usually getting charged the marketing budgets for the brands that you're buying you know mm -hmm. so all the money that they're making they're having to build that into their their wholesale pricing and so you know we're having to you know we're having to buy product that's prepackaged, you know at such a, a high price per pound um amount that it's hard because like you you want brands to matter brands do matter they absolutely matter and products and 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 loyalty to those brands matter but it's it's one of those things like it's it's all stuff that we can't control uh mm -hmm. and that's that's scary as a retailer to know that your you know your entire business is dependent on you know these guys not running out of product or not lowering the the, the standard of, of what they do or just maybe not bringing it to the table with their marketing plans and stuff like that and so you know i i, I think in california you're kind of seeing a little bit of a reckoning with that like people are more people are going towards the vertical integration and you're seeing mergers all over the place for a lot of the same reason uh because it's it's hard when you got to pay somebody's uh you know you got to pay somebody for every step along the way um, and then pay 31% sales tax after mm -hmm. that. It's, it, it's difficult. So, uh, you know, there's so many reasons that, that I think vertical integration is completely necessary for, for California cannabis companies right now. Right. And it, and it, um, you know, we don't have that in Washington, for example, where I live there is, it's like explicitly not allowed. Um, you know, you might catch somebody where it's like their brother or brother-in-law owns a license and they own a license and there's some, something similar, but we don't have like a brand and a store are not the same, you know, maybe the white right. label or something, but it's, and the farmers have fought it saying, oh, if we allow this, this will kill the farmers. And it's like, but to your point, you know, it's kind of like, it's just another thing, right? Like most likely at no point is it going to be West Coast Cannabis Club only sells exclusively your products, right? There's going to be demand for these other brands and right. reasons to offer your customers a wide variety of choices in, in different markets, right? Yeah, I mean, our goal is not to sell 100% of our own products. I think that would be short-sighted of, of us and, and kind of downplaying the importance of, you know, some of these brands and, and the reputations that they've built. I think for us, um, it's a matter of really trying to find a point to where we can we can grow enough of the product that we can make sure that we don't have any issues in a supply chain standpoint. We can also, uh, you know, offer a lot. We're not dependent on the strains that other growers choose. I mean, there's times where our entire store, I can't find a sativa in mm. California because everybody wants to grow what they want to grow. And then you kind of get stuck to where it's like, well, I got customers downstairs that are asking for uh, sativas for months and I can't even find one. So like, mm. that's one of those things where it's like, okay, so go grow a sativa. And so, uh, in no way is our goal of being vertically integrated to, you know, stick it to the farmers by any means, if anything, it's not the farmers who were, were kind of cutting around. It's, it's the brands who buy all the product from the farmers and then package it, mark it up really substantial amounts and then come and try to sell it to us uh, as, again from that third party standpoint. That's more of the thing that's caused a lot of issues for us. Um, 
we love the farmers. <laughs> so uh, I definitely I definitely sympathize with that side, but I don't think that that's the goal for us. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's, you know, I, I think it's a, uh, even a short up here, the you know, the relation to what I just brought up, I think it's kind of short-sighted for the farmers because you think five, 10 years down the line, some form of vertical integration is going to be everywhere. Or as we move to national, you know, federal legalization, what, what are you going to want? Some states have vertical integration and some states don't, you know, we'll probably right. move to, to a, something where it resembles a little bit of both, you know, there's more for everyone. But, you know, on the point of these brands, you know, we don't have to list your favorite brands. Yeah. Some people are, are, are a little touchy on that. But what are some of the brands you notice that people come into the store and like ask for by name? Some of those brands that have done a good job cultivating demand. You know, uh, I have been just blown away by the year that Jeter has had right now. Uh, it's absolutely insane. What the, and, and they're out here in the desert too, man. It's another mm -hmm. one of those companies that I've been watching for a long time. We're doing, we've been doing business with Dreamfields and Jeter for a long time. And to watch them go from just kind of like a, an up and coming kind of small uh, pre-roll company to just absolutely taking over uh, the pre-roll side and especially the, the little baby Jeter infused pre-rolls that product is that product's insane. I can't even, I can't even get orders from them that are big enough because they're just mm. out all the time. Love that company. Um, you know, Raw Garden did a really great job kind of finding their, their uh, I don't want to call it a niche, but their product skew category that they run with. And they have a lot of loyalty uh, in there. I mean, they were moving a, a, a good majority of the concentrates for a while in California have been coming from Raw Garden, especially in our, in our area of Southern California. Uh, you know, Stizzy has got probably mm -hmm. the most loyal following out there when it comes to a kind of more of like a, a unique niche product for sure. I don't know if it translates into all of the other products that they try to do as well, or if it's more just kind of tied to that vape pen, but there's not many people competing against that vape pen right now by any means. So, I mean, those are, those are companies that have done a really good job, just, just creating that loyalty to where, even if I want to create my own products, I still have to carry them. Yeah, I can't stop carrying products that I, I have customers coming in and, and actually asking for. Yeah, and that's I mean, that's something that I think a lot of brands need to understand and take hold of, of like, you know, there's not a lot you control control. It's very difficult. But looking at these brands that have been able to build following, I mean, you hear right here from, from the owner of multiple retails is yeah, like he couldn't sure. he could not carry it. Even I mean, he didn't say if you didn't want to, but, you know, it makes it very hard to not carry these products as opposed to, you know, brands that i don't know you know could be replaced right where there's yeah. five other competitors in the same you know the same category that are same price same quality level and haven't carved out an audience you know it's a difficult thing to do to carve out an audience but if you have that you know it's 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 undeniable you know you you can't i don't know you can't say no to it yeah and you, and you can't buy it either like i've watched a lot of people over the last few years try to try to spin their way into into what Stizzy's created, and so far as nobody's done it, so it's uh, it's difficult. You got it. Some of it's just right place, right time. Um, some of it's just catching that right social media following, and you got a lot of pull behind it. Uh, and some of it's you know just having a really incredible product that is that differentiates itself but it's not usually that <laughs> yeah. because you know the, it's hard to differentiate the product that much in this industry is it a really good product's really good product you know um and so it's always interesting to see who who takes off and why for sure uh, yeah yeah for sure and that's something that i see you know california gets a lot of credit for brands and rightfully so because it sets the tone through culture um when i look at other markets there's a lot of the mentality that the weed sells itself you know which is just wildly inaccurate especially as the market matures you know yeah uh, and but you look at you look at examples like that where people build brands like you said without their product isn't night and day different than the person next to you it isn't an incredible value compared to the next one they've just carved out you know this messaging that connects with people that translates mm -hmm. into demand yeah absolutely i mean when people say the the product sells itself i mean it's it, it can be true but it's just like it's so disrespectful to the amount of work that a lot of people have put into the industry and the branding and trying to legitimize certain things because and of the customer frankly it, it just assumes that that customer just doesn't know 
the difference. The thing with cannabis, man, and I've known this for a while, is every single person who smokes cannabis is, especially in their own mind, an expert in cannabis. You know, if, you, if you've ever bud tended, every single person who comes in that is, is so confident in their understanding and their knowledge of the plant. And when you say things like, if a brand were to say things like the product just sells itself, it's, well, I, I don't know if you've ever bud tended <laughs> because I can, I can work really hard to sell certain products and people have their tastes. They have their understanding of what they want. You know, the guys will come in and be like, I only want purple. And it's like, okay, well, give me like a, an actual scientific reason why you think that purple is the only thing that matters. And he's like, I don't care. I only want purple, you know, but there's brands that understand that customer. And so they're growing purple because <laughs> they know that that guy is going to buy it every time. And so there's, there's, it's so much more complicated than that. I mean, this is, this is an, a huge industry. I mean, you're talking about, you know, if, if you've got a few stores in a local area like this, you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of customers and to assume that they all want, you know, you can just grow, grow five or six strains and put it on the shelf and people just come in and buy it. Uh, I don't, I don't buy that at all. Absolutely. And it's, you know, what, what drives demand, right? Is it past experience? Is it hype? Is it colors, you know, colors and branding definitely drive some people, right? Some people pick stuff out just because of the way the packaging looks, it looks you know? cool. Yeah. I mean, well, it's hard because like, I'm such a, like a snob with cannabis, but it's funny because I say this all the time. Like I, I enjoy red wine. I'm not a sommelier and every sommelier in the world would be terrified to find out that I usually pick which wine I'm going to drink by the coolest label. Yeah. Because I'm just like, oh, that one looks like a cool wine because I'm not like, I, I'll just enjoy it. Right. And I do think that us as people who are very involved in the cannabis industry, forget about that customer mm -hmm. who just like, well, they just like a certain smell. They like a certain look. They want a certain price point. That's the only thing they care about. Like it's, it's not, everybody has their own driver and, and it's, there's a lot of different ones. And so it's, uh, you know, Customers are, you know, they, they've got a lot of opinions for sure. And, and you got to find a way to kind of keep everybody happy. And I do. And that's a great point and great way of looking at it is, is that that wine comparison, because so often we hear and I'm guilty of it, of like, man, the customer, they only care about THC percentage, like this hybrid sativa indica and THC percentage are about the <laughs> only things that like dictate what they choose. But it's simplified things is easy for them to connect to right or right. just packaging because people hate that too like this company is too much pack they're selling packaging not the weed and it's like but consumers like you said they go in there what do you have to go off of and you're like well that looks like a cool experience a cool product they're not what percentage alignment means in yeah there, you know like they don't a lot know, of them are nor care you know a lot of them are. I mean, it, it you, you know, this is the thing is like I, I see it. On, I'm on I'm on both sides of this because I love the terpene conversation. And we do spend a lot of time trying to educate mm -hmm. our customers on those things. I think I say that with the caveat of, man, people got a lot going on in their lives. Uh, getting a doctorate degree in cannabis is is potentially not on the radar of things that they want to spend their time doing, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where, man, like there's, you know, I, I grew up into college in Nebraska, man. It wasn't that long ago that I was buying my bud, you know, in a, in a Ziploc baggie in a CVS parking lot. And so, and, and you know what, I loved the experience back yeah. then too, with, without knowing what the test results were, without knowing what the terpenes were, without even knowing what, what strain it was half the time. And you, you can't almost, you almost can't, look down on that customer just because they like that simplified experience, you mm -hmm. know? And so you got to find a way to do, to do it both, you know, like we, we try to teach people about terpenes, but some people are just like, you know, it's a 60 year old grandma has been smoking since 19, you know, whenever, like she doesn't right. care about myrcene. She yeah. just doesn't. Yeah. And I mean, even to your point of why, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, like I like beer, craft beer, but I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not a nerd. You know, I buy a lot. I try a lot. I usually buy it off the packaging. Because you're like, dude, that's a cool packaging. Like, or India know. pale ale versus pale ale versus right. lager, you know, lager, whatever. Like, you know, I, I look at these simplified things and then I'm like, yeah, I like that. And I might look at, okay, who made it? Let me f try some of their other beers, but I'm not like, well, this is more weedy than hoppy. Do you have any, you know, then go in there right. next time. What's a weedy, you know, I, I'm not, even though I buy quite a bit of beer, I don't even care to like think yeah. about it on that level, you know? We're just, we're so close to it. Uh, and it's, I run into this a lot in the cannabis industry and it's, it's, 
we're so close to the plant. We're so passionate about this industry um, that we kind of expect everybody to meet that energy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and a lot of people do. And eventually a lot of people will. But there will always be a casual casual consumer. There just there always will be. Uh, not everybody's going to want to be a, a sommelier of, of, of cannabis, even though I absolutely do. Um, and I do think as a retailer, that's a difficult thing. It's a difficult line to, to toe, mm -hmm. you know, like it's you have to understand that people want you have to do terpene profiling. You have to do the testing. You have to explain to people what this product is. You have to care about it so much that when they try it, no matter what, they're going to like it, even if they right. don't know why, you know, like they don't have to know that the reason that it smells like lemons is because it's full of lemonine, you know, like they, they just like, oh, man, that actually smells like lemons. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's enough for them. Yeah. Yeah. Them. It's, oh man, that's, yeah, this is a good, a good conversation. <laughs> Cause like I said, I, I ain't even, you know, this is something I have a lot and I, you know, I hate, I hate the, you know, the THC, like I said, my least favorite thing when I go into dispensary is, you know, I'm always like, I'm pretty generic. I'm always like, what's the most fire? What's the hottest thing in here smoking? And someone's like, well, this one's got such THC percentage. And I'm always like, God damn it, bro. It's not what I asked, but I yeah. get that because that's what everybody cares about. But for you guys uh, on, on the retail and delivery outlet, it's like consumers really care about THC percentage, right? Mm -hmm. And so does yeah. how much does that end up dictating what you purchase, even if you have to acknowledge we don't care about it that much, but obviously you can't ignore consumer demand? Oh, I mean, I would say it's a lot of the reasoning behind what we purchase. I mean, the, the good news is, is like I, I also the hard part. There is such thing as high THC weed that's also really good and is high mm -hmm. in terpenes and these other things. And so I don't know that it has to be an if, um, you know, if it's high in THC, it's it's just more complicated than that, you know. And so I think we we absolutely start with THC. And then if we do it, we, but we, we do terpene profiling on all of the stuff that we do as well. And so if you're coming in with high THC and really crappy terpene amounts, it's not going to be very hard for me to go to somebody else who has really high THC and just better terpene amounts. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if it's 17, 18%, it will sit on my shelf for months. It mm -hmm. just will. Uh, or I'm going to eventually have to take a hit on that product by, you know, selling it for cheaper to get it, to get it out the door. It doesn't matter if it's 6% terpenes. Um, there's not enough people coming in with that knowledge where if they see something that's 30% THC and two and a half terpenes and something that's 18% THC and 5% terpenes, they're, they're still going to buy that THC product. They just are. And it's hard because like, I think a lot of it does kind of come to alcohol. Like you just think that higher alcohol by volume amount, it's like, it'll, the higher the number is, it just makes, it makes right. sense, you know? Um, and so it's hard to blame the customer for feeling that way. And, uh, and it's not, my, I guess it's, it's kind of not my job to, to make the customer feel bad. It's if anything, it's to make the customer feel really happy with the purchase that they just made, you know, and if they come in and say, give me something that's 34% THC, like, man, you're going to go home with something with 34% THC and you're going to be really happy with the experience you had at my store. And then next time you come in, I'll try to talk to you about how, hey, maybe next time let's look at this or something instead. But it, it's hard, man. It's definitely hard. Yeah. And I, I was just, you know, I had another epiphany on a, on a podcast episode a couple of weeks ago and, uh, you know, someone brought it up and I never thought of it like this to, to your point, too, of talking about, you know, this relation of you think higher, you're going to get a higher effect, which I've thought about before. But he kind of put it in the way of, you know, cannabis is expensive to the average consumer, right? So yeah. decently expensive. If you're if you're a regular, you know, consuming a couple ace a week, right, it's pretty expensive as opposed yeah. to, you know, a nice a nice fifth of alcohol is around the same price of an average eighth of, of cannabis, you know, sure. And, you're not drinking, you know, unless most people aren't drinking a whole nice fifth every week. So if you're right. smoking a couple ace a week, you know, it's it's comparing vices, right? It's relatively expensive. And so having that higher THC percentage almost makes the consumer feel like they're getting more bang for their buck or something. Uh, I 100 percent I think that that's what happens in the mind with that with that process, you know, and, and I think some of it's taught to like, man, I I'm telling you in 2017, I was still trying to teach people that Indica means in the couch. Okay. So like, it wasn't that long ago where our customers don't even, didn't even know what Indica and Sativa was. We had mm -hmm. to come up with like 
funny little phrases to make them realize that indica was going to make you go to sleep. And then it's like in two years, the the tone in this industry has changed so much mm. that most consumers have, they just haven't, it took them 50 years of smoking to learn about what indica was. <laughs> and then now we're like ter terpene profiling and, and THCs and, and now we're hitting them and, and rightfully so it, I'm not putting down about the CBD and CBN and, and now we're hitting with THCA and, and we just have so much more understanding mm. of the plant that it's gonna it's gonna probably take a little while to to communicate that to a lot of the the, the recreational casual consumer uh, no that, that's such a good point and it is like when you take a step back and look at things from the macro right you can see how much progress in the moment it might seem like how oh, this is taking forever and i think that's true in a lot of things in life but i mean that, that's such a good point because even myself right i, I would say pre-legalization i was definitely more into weed than the average person but i still you know i'd probably only seen and accurately been labeled, I don't know, 12, 15 strains off of years of smoking. Right. You know, right. I, I, you know, I, I kind of understood indica and sativa kind of at an early age, just getting stuff straight from growers. Right. But, but you're right, since legalization, not only is the education so much more prominent, the science and the studies are, are now happening, but also the, the stigmas drop to where we can, you know, the communicate and open forum, like so much easier. You can just Google search shit. Whereas in the past, you might've even been, are the feds watching my Google yeah, search? For sure. search? Yeah, for sure. Well, and I mean, and I, I mean, even I've just seen so much of that, especially like, you know, uh, through the recreational and all the, the, you know, I got, we got a lot of, of press coverage and I share it all on my Facebook. And it's funny. Cause it's like, you know, you're on the front page of the news art newspaper, you share it on Facebook. And my grandma's like, you know, congratulations, honey. I love you. And it's just funny. Cause I'm like, man, like I was on the newspaper for selling weed in like 2005 and nobody told me congratulations <laughs> back then. It was, a, it was a entirely different conversation. And then now it's like, you know, my grandma's proud of me. She shared it on her Facebook and it, it hasn't been that long. It's, it's absolutely insane how much, you know, the, the world has changed and, and, six, seven, eight years uh, when it comes to this topic. And so I think there's just a lot of consumers who are still catching up to the just weeds, not evil, let alone mm -hmm. like the intricacies behind it. There's we get customers that come in every single day who are like they got their sunglasses on. They've got like they're just kind of like they don't want to be seen like they're you know, they're like, hey, like if my kids see me in here and I'm like, dude, your kids already come in here. You know, it's like it's just go talk, go home and talk to each other. It's fine. But they're still scared of it. You know, like they, they park in the back of the parking lot and it's going to take a long time to get those guys on board. I mean, we're bat we're battling, you know, century plus of just propaganda, misinformation and, you know, a, a stigma that's a, a very negative stigma. You know, there's still so much around this that to 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 evolve from. Um, but one of those things that I know is kind of helping, you know, I want to take it back to delivery a little bit, because I know that's sure. something that's, that's helping break down the stigma, right, of this last two years, cannabis being deemed an essential good, seeing delivery of cannabis, much like any other product. Yeah. What are some of the important factors that go into having, you know, a delivery business in this space? Yeah, I think the, the hardest part about delivery is getting people to know that you have a delivery without almost being too in their face. People want um, casual deliveries. I mean, we have unmarked vehicles. Like we're not wearing West Coast Cannabis Club shirts when we show up to your home. They don't want an announcement. They want it to look like it's an Amazon drop off or something very quick, you know, in and out. And, and I think the hardest part with it is like they're inviting you into their home. And it's like that's such an intimate transaction like there's mm -hmm. almost nothing else in the world where somebody brings you into their home hands you an id and a hundred dollars to buy something and it's like that I, I think the trust that you kind of build with somebody when you go through that process uh versus them coming to your store and just going home or whatever they actually like there's just something weird about like and we're in a good way like it's 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 kind of like you you're, you have like friends with your delivery customers mm. for sure and i and so i think that like loyalty and and just not not ruining that trust is is the biggest part uh with is, is the biggest part with delivery and so it's it's hard to get it's hard to get it out there that you are a delivery and without being you know loud because there's not a lot of advertising platforms uh to do it outside of weed maps which is what everybody's doing anyways um 
And so getting the name out there without, you know, wrapping our car and just announcing what we do and all those things uh, is probably the hardest part. But we do that because, frankly, we just know what our customers want and they don't want loud. They want, you know, inconspicuous, easy and, and you know, kind of trustworthy uh, situation. And so it's uh, it's it's a delicate line for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and that's probably attributed much to the stigma we were just talking about, right? Like, you want discretion. I don't want everyone, you know, I don't want Bob, the neighbor, who knows my third time getting yeah, weed delivered. He doesn't need to know every time I'm buying product or, you know, like some people's neighbors are just nosy, man. And they just like, you know, nobody, nobody wants any of that nonsense. And then other people just are, again, just they're still stuck in um, a certain understanding of what they think the perception is going to be if if somebody knows that they're a stoner. Uh, even in Southern California, I still run into people on a daily basis who um, are just so they, they don't even understand that this world is happening around mm -hmm. them right now. Cannabis is still just not part of their lives. Absolutely. And so, you know, delivery, I know we spoke about a minute ago, delivery kind of boomed over COVID. Um, did you see any specific product categories that have increased along with like are, are people in delivery ordering one or more product category more than retail or have increased over the last year or two? Yeah, delivery is a, a lot heavier on extracts, frankly. I think it's a lot of people who um, they they, ha they know what they want more specifically. It's something you don't necessarily have. like with bud, you, you kind of want to see it first, right? Like that's the hard part. Like if you, with, with flour, you want to come in, look at it, smell it if you can. Extracts, edibles, things like that are a lot higher on delivery because you don't really need to see it if you know you love a 710 labs you know wax then you're going to purchase it and not be too worried about what's what's going to show up so we see a lot more sales in those and like i said it's more bulk people it's it's more people who are on um a budget and so they want to buy their entire budget at one time so that and just keep it nice and easy bring this is what i order every month bring it to me and drop it off um and so that's definitely more of the consumer that we run into on delivery Versus more of like the the you know kind of regimented person who comes into the store three or four times a week, uh, which is what a lot of people do when it comes to the retail side. Yeah, and I can as a as a put my customer hat on. I could associate with that. Sometimes I always tell bud tenders if I go to a, a especially in a state and a store I've never been to before, I always give them the warning. I'm like, I'm probably gonna be like either your favorite or least favorite transaction yeah. of the day because we're talking today. Yeah. <laughs> show, show me 20 different flowers. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Yeah. So delivery is not going to be something that you're going to want. Like that's, that's going to ruin your experience because what you're looking for is that like, you want to find that satisfaction and know that what you just bought was exactly what you want. And that's difficult to do with delivery. You know, it's, it's at least with California in the way that it runs, I can't just show up with a suitcase and, you right. know, like, it should be pretty dope. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the complete mobile shop because that's yeah, it's it's definitely that. And I mean, even you know, with with, with cannabis back to the flower, like you know, certain batches are better than than other batches. And that's sure. another you know, when you go to the dispensary, the bud tender, you know, if they really know their shit, they might be like, you know, hey, you know, I want to get the gelato, whatever, from so and so, and they'll they'll be like, hey, just just give you the heads up. It's not bad, but the last batch was, you know, if if you're if you're expecting that, it's going to be a little different or adversely they might be like this batch right here like get two of them like right get, get two because i don't know if it'll be this good again this is the best while. looking one we've seen come through in a minute yeah and that's and that's something that's unique about cannabis and another thing that you know it's difficult i think for the average consumer to understand that somehow with wine right we can get you know the 2017 that's the one it doesn't make the 18 and 19 bad but the, if you can find the 17 it's going to cost yeah. more and buy as much as you can right like people in in wine have able to learn that in cannabis i don't think the general consumer has been able to like understand that just yet no and you know that's oh that's always the hard part is uh you know kind of determining what our role is uh it, what our role is in that you know we we do a lot of educating absolutely um but it's it's so much more personal like the person you buy your cannabis from is like it's always been it's like your guy you know what i mm -hmm. mean i think for a lot of consumers it's like this is my weed spot or like you know this is my bud tender or like this is the person that i trust he always gives me the thing that i like and so it's like so much of what we do is about building relationship and especially on the medical side you know especially since we've been open since medical a lot of our relationships are ones that we built mm. you know four four or five years ago where people were coming in 
looking for actual, you know, medical advice and in really, in really desperate situations. And so like, if that person comes in and just knows what they want and it wants to order 34% THC, I'm not going to try to lecture this person on their knowledge because like, Hey man, this is like, it's, they, I, they know what they want. They know what they came here for. And that's for me to be cool, give them a good price, find them something they're going to like and, and send them on their way. But then you get the other customers who, who just eat it up. They love it. They want to know everything about every strain on the menu, every brand, you know, where are these products from? And like those, I love those customers too. Cause like, you know me, I can just sit here and talk about weed all day. So it's a, it's an interesting dichotomy, especially when, you know, cause again, you, your, your role as the local weed shop is to make the whole community happy, mm-hmm. not just the ones that fit into the, the idea of what you think your customer is. Uh, no, that most certainly. And I, and I think that's a great approach on it. What, at what point you feel like in the average transaction, are, are you guys able to acknowledge, all right, this customer is this type of customer and we got to cater to them a, a specific way? The Usually the first sentence that comes out of their mouth is usually a pretty good indicator. Uh, they'll come in and they'll just be like, I've got 40 bucks. Um, usually tells you that this is somebody who just probably, like you said, wants to get as much quality as they can for the dollar that they have. And in their mind, a lot of times that's going to tie to to something like THC percentage, or they're going to want like a a quarter knowing that it's not going to be the best product, but they, they, you know, they want that, you know, somebody will come in and they're just like, give me your best indica. Like, you know what that person's saying when they say that they're Mm -hmm. saying, I want something that's going to put me to sleep, you know? And so, that you know that's probably you know you know what strains to go to with that customer off the first thing that they say for sure or there's somebody like you know you or myself where they come in and it's like all right i hope you have a few minutes because <laughs> it's like all right this person's going to want to talk about about everything you know and so like you you know right off the bat um you know how that interaction is going to go but we're we have so many like regulars at this point you know we've been open for so long it's like most of, you know, over half the people that come in every single day, um, we know them, you know, we, they bring their dogs, we know their dogs' names, we know their families, you know, like we went to high school with them. It's, it's, it's the customers, you know, it's, this is the homies, it's the regulars. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what is, what goes into kind of training the staff and getting new hires acclimated to even ones that are passionate about cannabis yeah. and kind of understanding these nuances between the, the different types of consumer? You know, I, I find that we're very lucky in this industry because people want like the, the people who want to work in the cannabis industry are very uh, like that. They're very passionate about cannabis, you know, like for the most part, they're leaving a job that isn't in this industry more more often than not. Right. And they're, they're trying to get into the cannabis industry. And so, like, those are obviously people who have some connection with this plant. And so I think we don't find it very difficult to find people who are passionate and and want to learn. I think for us, it's more of just continuously teaching ourselves and then, you know, handing those resources down to our staff. But man, I, I feel just, maybe I'm just feel blessed in that regard where, you know, we, we definitely have a culture in this company that, you know, learning isn't really like, it's not like your job. It's more of just like, it's just like our way of life. Like, I mean, learning about this plant and learning about these products and the stuff that we sell, like all of our staff, for the most part, like it's, this isn't really a job. It really is like, this is what we do. This is the industry we work in. And I think a lot of our staff has aspirations for wanting to do, you know, a lot of big things in this industry. And so I think for me, I, I just kind of only keep those kinds of people on my team. If, if you're somebody who, who I'm going to have to go and make sure that you're trying to learn about terpenes on a, on a regular basis, then you're, you're probably not somebody who necessarily fits with our culture, who just naturally wants to learn those things. Um, so, you know, we just haven't found that to be much of a problem. We're really lucky. We don't have a lot of turnover. I got the same team that I've had since day one. They're, they're, they're taking me to the top. So um, we just, we just try to keep it that way, man. Just keep it that this is, this is what we do. And the people who come into our stores every day depend on us uh, to be as knowledgeable about this stuff as we can. Well, I think that's probably attributed to just, you know, your, I mean, yourself at the, at the top of the leadership, but also just the culture you guys have, have created. Because throughout this entire conversation, you know, the continual theme is community, whether it's the team that you're talking oh, yeah. about, your, your team you're talking about as a community or the greater community. So clearly you guys have put 100%. an emphasis on, on cultivating community. And, and that seems 100%. like a byproduct of that. 
it's what we do. And it's like these licenses are they're not they're not given to you. It's a privilege, you know, like this is a, the, like having these licenses is, you know, the opportunity of a lifetime for someone like me, you know. And so it's like I'm just not somebody who's going to do it little like we're going to you know, we're going to understand our role. We're going to understand, you know, what what our local community expects out of us. Um, and we're just going to work really hard to meet it. Hell yeah. What's, what's, what's on the future for, uh, 2022 at, at WCCC? Staying busy, man. We've got, uh, we've got a couple applications in cities in right now where we're in the finals. We'll hopefully find out here in the next four to six weeks on whether or not we pull off a couple of those. I feel pretty confident on them. Uh, we've got a couple other uh, cities that we're, we're pursuing and then, man, it's, it's really focusing on cultivation in our manufacturing right now and, and getting our own branded products, uh, ready for, for our outside sales push. Uh, as we as we start to walk into next year. And so uh, we feel like we've gotten our brand to a point now where we've earned a little bit of a reputation. People know what we're going to bring to the table. Um, and so we're going to we're going to start working on finding some really select people inside of the industry that we want to start building relationships with, start to get our products out into some other people's store and uh, and see where we can take it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Big, big things in, in 2022 for, you know, you guys have already had success, you know, wish you guys nothing but continued success. And so where, where can people, I believe the website is westcoastcannabis.club. So westcoastcannabisclub.com took me five years to be able to finally get westcoastcannabisclub.com away from the 65 year old lady in Texas who had it, man. She would just, <laughs> she was so stubborn. Um, but I love her now. We're friends now. So uh, I finally, yeah, we're back now. Westcoastcannabisclub.com. You just, when did you guys get the switch? What's that? When did you guys get the switch? When did you About switch? Six it? months ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I, I still have westcoastcannabis.club. Uh, so that's all of our emails are still westcoastcannabis.club just because we've been using it for so long. But yeah, that was, that was a big win for me. That was, that one took me a while. She was, she was, she's a shark, man. She knew what she did, was doing. Did you, did you talk her down, wear her down or did you just finally submit? Oh, I, I weared her down for sure, but she was a fierce one. Uh, you know, dude, the IP game is a, it's a, that's a fun one, man. I'll tell you what, it's never, never a dull moment. Uh, but yeah, westcoastcannabisclub.com, man. Uh, you know, uh, our Instagram changes what it seems like on a, in, in every three month basis at this point. So I know, I know, you know, that, that pain, man, but, uh, we got a lot of big things coming and we'll, we'll keep everybody posted on there. Awesome, man. Thank you very much for everyone going out there for Hall of Flowers. Highly encourage you guys to go check out the stores. You know, I, I know Kenneth and the staff over there will open you guys with welcome arms. If you got a chance, check out Melanie Place. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful location. Um, and you heard the man, westcoastcannabisclub.com. Super appreciate you hopping on here today, Kenny, um, and, and look forward to, you know, watching watching the continued growth, man. Hey, anything for respect my region, man. I've been watching you guys for a while. I've been really impressed with what you guys have done, man. So I, uh, I really appreciate your time and can't wait to see you guys take over. Hell yeah. Thank you, man. Later, man.